You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty. Oh, to stimulate your thinking. You're listening. You're listening to Intellectual Erection. Intellectual, intellectual, intellectual Erection. Welcome back to Intellectual Erection. I'm your host, Patrick. Today, I'm speaking with Yasmin. Very clear in my bio that I was kinky and that I was specifically looking to hit a cis white man. This episode is going to be a lot of fun. It's got a lot of information for newbies wanting to enter the sex-positive communities. And even if you're not a newbie, you're going to find some pretty juicy information in here. And as always, listen, like, review, and most of all, enjoy. I'm sitting here today with... Yasmin Harris. Hi, Yasmin. Hi. (laughs) Why don't you tell our audience what it is that you do? What it is that I do, um, I am a human who just tries to get by in life. (laughs) Um, For a living, I am a full-time freelancer, so half of my life I dedicate to teaching yoga and meditation around the city and learning about yoga, and the other half of my time I spend being an online human, an internet human, so I essentially create content online and help other people create content, whether that be written or whatever. I work in social media. I just didn't want to say it. I work in social media. <laughs> as long as you don't say the word influencer on the show, you're welcome back. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> so you've heard the podcast before, so you know what I'm about to ask you. I do. Have you premeditated an answer? Have you thought about it already? I have thought about it. Okay. So what I ask for the audience who hasn't or isn't familiar with the show is the origin question it's a two-parter the first part is Freudian because I'm a little sick in my head and I have a love-hate thing with Freud so I go deep and I ask when was the first time that you remember encountering the world of sex and sexuality as a kid when maybe you didn't know about it the second question is how did you get to where you are today presumably in the sex positive communities so I have a very very vivid memory of myself as a seven-year-old child on vacation visiting family in Turkey. And we were in a convenience store, a whole big group of us, maybe like 14 family members. And like I said, I was seven, so I was trusted to kind of walk around this convenience store on my own, and I found my way to the back where the magazines were. And I found my first porn magazine, and on the cover was, I will never forget, a photo of Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, and I think Madonna kissing? I remember this. This was like a big scandal or no, something? No, I remember this. When, when it happened on TV, I watched yes. that live. Yes, yeah. so it was this photo, and I remember knowing all of those celebrities and seeing the, these three women kissing. Obviously, I was very intrigued, and so I just sat on the floor of this convenience store and just flipped through this porno. And it was my first time seeing a woman spread, you know, you made my way to the centerfold and was like, what is this? And because I'm the luckiest human in the universe, I'm convinced nobody caught me. So I didn't have to go through that trauma of getting it like ripped out of my hands and being told that I was doing something wrong. But I I knew in my mind that I had found something that I wasn't supposed to be looking at. But yeah, and I I had my first kiss when I was like in grade one. I remember pushing this boy, his name was Michael, into a corner and I kissed him. And I told him each time that he was upset that I would kiss him. Um, So I was like, you know, getting involved pretty young. So wait, he was upset each time when you kissed him? No, no. Whenever he was upset, I told him that I would console him with my mouth Oh. and that I would kiss him. (laughs) I only recall it ever happening once. Yeah, he wasn't like crazy about it. So I kind of stopped after that. Oh, well. Yeah. Sucks to be Michael. Yeah. Hello, Michael. Hi. Hi. Shout out to Michael. Shout out to Michael G. How are you feeling? (laughs) We got got some mouth consolation for you, (laughs) apparently. So the second part of your question is how I found my way here. How you found your way into the sex positive communities. Mm. And of course, that means kink, BDSM, fetish, polyamory. Um, So I was sexually active by the age of 16 and I'd say even started getting kinky by the age of like 17, 18. 
Um, like I've had many, many threesomes in my life, many of which happened in high school. And so I guess at that point I started realizing that I, that there was something a little different about the way that I wanted to do things and how I wanted to explore my sexuality. And I came out as bisexual when I was very young. So it became clear to me very early on that I needed to find myself within specific communities in order to feel accepted. Uh, because I was already, I already felt like a kind of on the outside. And I'd say that it was about a year ago that I decided to really actively try to find a way into Toronto's like kink and poly community. So it's been a year of reaching out to humans and doing my own research and putting myself into spaces deliberately to learn more about my interests and also to get to practice my interests safely with other consenting curious humans. So it sounds like you've had a sort of lingering interest in kink at least mm-hmm. throughout most of your life. Yeah. And what was it that do you know what it was that attracted you to it specifically? Uh, no. I don't know. I I mean, I've always been a bit of a rebel, I guess, and I've always had an inclination to do things that I wasn't allowed to do, and I live for the rush of doing things that I'm not supposed to. So I guess that it's safe to say that that's just kind of weaved its way into What I'm hearing is that something about the taboo (laughs) seems to turn you on. Yes, definitely. It definitely excites me, not just in a a sexual sense, but even like doing things that are taboo in terms of like even just like how I look, how I present myself and the things that I choose to do, uh, it excites me to think that somebody is going to be very turned off by what I'm doing. It excites you? Yeah. Right. So somebody who who would be judgmental of you, mm-hmm. that sees you, mm-hmm. that turns you on. You're yeah, like, yeah, it makes I'm me feel like I'm on the world. right track if right. somebody else is looking at me being like, what the fuck is she doing? Well, that's the that's kind of the theory behind queer performativity is to disrupt people's expectations with subversive moves like the way you look and just kind of put people on edge make them like question to be a cage rattler cage I just, rattler yeah i just want to rattle, rattle some cages bones. yeah 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 it's fun okay well that's i think something that most kinksters have in common is this kind of attraction to the taboo mm-hmm. it's what i hear throughout most of the episodes of the humans that i interview how do you identify now personally? What parts of the sex-positive communities have become a part of your life? Okay, well, I guess I definitely resonate with the BDSM community. And I have not, I have yet to explore very deeply other people who uh, live out these fantasies or kinks, but I'd like to, would be like the DDLG um, community of people because I'm one of them. <laughs> Um, I'm also queer, so I guess any, like, that intersection of, like, queer and kink is another place where I feel comfortable and that I belong, um, because I'm kinky and queer. Mm, I'd say that I am most definitely non-monogamous. There are so many different, I guess, titles within polyamory that I'm still trying to play with them all, but the one that definitely calls my name the most is, is, um, the one that suggests anarchy. What is it again? Relationship anarchy. Relationship anarchy, yeah. Um, And I guess to explain that a little bit to anybody who doesn't know, and please interrupt me at any point because you're the professor who knows the smarticle things. Hmm. Um, It essentially (laughs) means no rules and that each relationship can be different from all the others and that I do not necessarily have primary partners, secondary partners, tertiary partners. Uh, There are no rules to how I spend my time within, within my relationships and which ones take precedence over the right. It just doesn't exist. It's just chaos. Right. And I find comfort in that. Yeah, there's there's a certain level of, of ambiguity, I guess, with that too, with relationship anarchy. Because in some ways, yeah, it is no rules. But that's because you get to build them and create them with each partner. Yeah, so it's so not you, that there's yeah. no rules and you're yeah. just running around and nobody has boundaries and nobody's communicating these things. It just yeah. means that... Each one has to be determined um, by on a case by case basis. Yeah. So you do all the negotiating together. Exactly. And build it just seems the, the most involved, and that both yeah. partners get to, I don't know, be really present in making those decisions that make sense in the moment to them, and that those can always change. Yeah. 
I mean, the definitions of these things change over time, too, because I've heard different people define relationship anarchy in different ways. Even polyamory, the term itself, is inclusive of some relationships and not others. So it goes back and forth. So it's important to talk about. And I'm going to have future episodes where I'm going to talk a little bit more specifically about polyamory and the types of relationships that exist and researchers on polyamory. Exciting stuff. We yeah. can't wait for that content, Patrick. Keep oh, us posted. Thank you. And you are here because you're relatively new to these communities I and am. you get to be able to express what it's like entering them for the first time. And that is something that I've had some listeners ask for. They want to hear those first experiences. Because then I have a lot of other people that are on the show that are extremely experienced. What is it like for you and what's been important, revolutionary or different about entering the sex positive communities and how it intersects with the rest of your life that is potentially, I don't want to suggest what it is, but I'm, I'm guessing vanilla in some ways, if we can say that. I don't know. Yeah. What's your question, sir? <laughs> I don't understand. My question is, what was it like entering these uh, communities for the first time? It was scary as shit, dude. Like, you're just walking into God knows what. The first time I walked into a sex club was Oasis two years ago. My friend and I were walking in, had no idea what to expect. And we kept our clothes on. We didn't stay for very long. I was trying my best not to be judgmental to what I was seeing, but I definitely was. But then every, every choice that I, I made after that just kept pointing me back into the direction of exploring sex clubs and feeling really drawn to these people. So I just kind of forced myself to go back a couple times and each time it got a little bit easier and then you start to recognize familiar faces and then you start to realize that you can just talk to people there and that people actually want to be friends with you and it was not a comfortable process. Um, but people are generally very welcoming and also very excited when they see new, a new face. It's yeah. like fresh meat. Like people just freak out. So, like you said earlier, we're a small incestuous community. Right. So all of a sudden, like here's this new human. We're talking about me coming in, and people like wanted to talk to me. So I definitely didn't feel like lonely or awkward in that sense. That like nobody wanted to talk to me. I did. I just I didn't know what was safe to talk about and I didn't know how to ask for what I wanted and how to assert myself in, into scenes and how to I just didn't understand any of it and then that's when I realized I literally just had to look a human in the eyes and ask them a specific question how do I tell somebody that I don't want them to touch me how do I tell someone that I want to kiss them how do I tell someone that I want to watch them playing with someone else but very clearly let them know that I do not want to be physically involved myself um and those are all questions that I feel like now I have answers to. Oh. So you found ways to communicate these sorts yeah. of needs. Yeah. Through some level of experience. Yes. Why don't we talk a little bit about these experiences and why you're interested in them? Okay. <clears throat> What's the question? Hit me with it. I'm ready. I'm ready. So let's start with the BDSM. What are you interested in BDSM? What are you attracted to? And what types of things do you enjoy doing? I like to hit people. I like floggers. Um, yes, I, I like to hit people. I like to spank. I like to choke. Um, I like to, to shake a human. <laughs> like a cage? <laughs> like a cage. Um, so yeah, that's very exciting to me. Um, so I'm a switch, I guess it's important for me to say. So I've had those things done to me and I've also done them to other people. Um, I'm sometimes stressed out trying to figure out which role I prefer. But every day I just try to remind myself that I can be both and that I don't have to choose and that there can be lots of pleasure and growth within both roles and that I never have to, I just don't have to choose. So I enjoy doing things like that within the BDSM uh, realm. I have not experimented too, too much with different types of implements because I'm still just getting used to um, like the instruments that I currently own. I don't know, just like for context, last night I was shocked with, I don't know what that thing, what was that? There was this weird <laughs> shocking device. Right. And so, so shout out to Jordy, who's been on the show, Alpha Princess Jordy, who has a lot of tools that other people probably don't have. He's got a long baton that is basically like a taser, but very low voltage. And it's used for shocking people. Yeah, so I was tased in the butt yesterday. And that was very intense and very scary and was 
that definitely did not turn me on <laughs> just because of how it, unfamiliar the sensation and the device was. Also, I was in a party setting with a whole bunch of people I didn't know. And I was just like a little bit like, I don't know how to do this. But yeah, I'd love to uh, continue to befriend different pain implements. Right. Yes. And try them out. There's that, a little bit of that sadistic look in your eyes. Yes. I definitely get excited when somebody's in a little bit of pain when they want it. So seeing then that you've had, let's say, limited experiences in the BDSM community mm-hmm. or in the sex positive communities, mm-hmm. this makes me want to ask, what are some of the lingering fantasies that you have that you've not yet fulfilled? What do you want to do? Well... Looking at my submissive side, I'd really love to be tied up. I'd love to do a full bondage, shibari scene, um, like being tied to the ceiling or something up above me, like dangling is a very exciting concept to me. Um, I'd also love to play around a little bit more with breath play. And, and for anybody who doesn't know what that is, Um, I'd essentially like somebody to put a giant Ziploc bag over my head and choke me out. That's very exciting to me, and I have not found a human yet to do that with. Um, From my dominant side, I definitely, like I mentioned previously, want to try new implements. Um, So things that seem very exciting to me and things that I'd like to try and this is shocking to me because I never thought that I would be interested in it before, are knives. And I know that that seems like a really big, crazy step, but I'm not suggesting that that's something that I, I want to do right now. But I definitely like the idea of a little bit of danger, um, hence the Ziploc bags over the head and the sharp objects. Um, I'm also very intrigued by the idea of chains and um, having big chain metal links and using that as well so those are some of my fantasies hit me up if you are very skilled in any of these areas and we can have a chat (laughs) (laughs) well i'm glad that you are taking your time with these things and looking for skilled people to do them yeah i'm in no rush and i definitely don't want to throw myself into a situation where i'm potentially going to be harmed or unsafe just for the sake of saying that i've done it and also a lot of these things that you're specifically talking about are forms of edge play that require a lot of expertise and a lot of knowledge so that you don't harm somebody the zip block bag situation or breath play in general can be dangerous i also will say that it's not um crucial to me that the first few times that i play with these new things be within sexual circumstances so i'm more than happy to separate them and to treat them as skills and techniques and experiences outside of sexual pleasure as just something to experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to the next question. Okay. DDLG. Yeah. Daddy, dumb, little girl. I've done a few workshops on this at Oasis. Yes. So tell me a little bit about your interest in DDLG. Mm, I got some daddy issues. (laughs) Oh, definitely have some daddy issues. And I love the idea of being cared for and having um, like an authoritative and submissive type dynamic. Um, The most exciting part of sex and sexual adventures for me is always the psychological play. So as much as I enjoy, you know, hitting and being hit, nothing does it for me the same way as playing a role does and um living out that kind of a fantasy it's very different for me i love the mind fucking um yeah i really 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 enjoy the caretaking aspect and being told what to do and having rules and consequences and rewards and just being like a perfect little bratty thing i love it and is that for you something that's consistent or do you enter that little space only in specific situations what do you mean is it consistent like can i do it with many people or no so what happens is in the ddlg community a lot of folks tend to say that it's not role play it's a lifestyle it's who you are oh i see right and 
I mean, I do support their message to some degree, but I've also encountered so many people that love to roleplay DDLG. For them, it's not a commitment. It's not a lifestyle. There's tendencies there, but they don't necessarily live it 24-7. I definitely do not live that 24-7, nor do I want to live that 24-7. There are definitely parts of my day where I can feel myself behaving in certain ways that are like, oh, like this is me being like subby baby ass and like, why am I doing that? But yeah, it's something that I can switch on and switch off. Um, really depends on who I'm with, obviously, and whether or not I want that part of me to open up. Uh, but that is not how I exist day to day, all the time. Right. I so, can't even imagine what that would be like. Well, I mean... I mean, there would be so much food brought to me all the time. My house would probably always be clean. Um... <laughs> I'd probably get a lot of shit done because I'd be forced to. In in many ways, it does sound attractive and nice to have like a 24-7 dynamic like that or to constantly be in that frame of mind. But then I feel like I wouldn't get the, the, rele- the, the relief. And like, that's why I do it, right? Yeah. Because if I was there all the time, I don't know. I mean, the caregiver, the caregiver tendency side of it, and I can speak from my experiences, is for me, it lingers kind of always, but it doesn't manifest itself necessarily in behaviors of me overtly having to tell people or my partners, you know, do this, be like that, or daddy's doing something. I don't need to refer to myself in the third person or constantly engage in that. I think there's just something about me that puts me in that role because I do enjoy being a caregiver and do enjoy being needed by my partners but it doesn't always manifest itself so directly as the daddy role i engage in it sometimes but i also step back other times but i do recognize that there's something in me inherently there that likes being there right and there's something about me that where the caregiver role is genuine do you feel that way kind of with the with the little space is it is it in you it is in me because In a lot of ways, I feel like I, I, I didn't get that in, in some aspects of my life from my father specifically, right? And so, yeah, it's in me and I want to be taken care of and I want certain things done for me and I want to be told what to do sometimes. So yes, it's in me. It's just not in there all the time because there are many times where I switch out of that and think, oh, like I can do this for myself. I can take care of myself. And then it's like I have this internal battle of these two different versions of me that both want to be satisfied, but one would contradict the other. So sometimes I have to choose. Do I want to give in to the sensation of not being completely independent? Do I want to give in to the sensation of knowing that my my pleasure and my happiness lies in the hands of another? And that's it's a deep trust exercise and very scary. And so it really depends how secure I'm feeling in myself at that time or whether or not I want to act that out and give somebody that power. And sometimes I don't. It's in you, but you also want to manage other things in your life that don't necessarily Mm -hmm. submit to little space. Yeah. So is it a place that you get to only when you're with somebody who you can feel like vulnerability is okay to... Yeah, there's no way that that's like turning on in a first time encounter. It continues to grow and I continue to get to know myself, my, my subby, yes, at a deeper level the more I play with someone. So she becomes um, a more developed character each time because I'm still just getting to know her. Maybe there'll, there'll be a point I reach where I have met her so many times and I've spent enough time with her that I can kind of call her into fruition faster with newer partners but at this time i'm not capable of doing that nor would i feel safe doing that just because of how vulnerable it seems and i'm i love being vulnerable in many ways but uh within this space in this community i'm not ready right now to just like turn it on for whoever tells me to submit well what it sounds like to me is that on the one hand your very dominant tendencies are a place that you can safely exercise skills and behaviors and fantasies and then when it comes to intimacy and you find a place where you're allowed to be vulnerable you can engage your submissive side and get into that little space so there's that transition there right from like very intimate to something that you've described almost as non-sexual mm. yeah that's pretty accurate 
like you're into psychology or something. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I think some people have accused me of worse. <laughs> okay. So the next thing that I want to ask you then is how you got into DDLG. So I got on Tinder back in February and I was looking for a submissive. So I was looking to be daddy. Oh. That was how it started. My, my. And so I came across two different humans, both of which I moved through quite quickly because it was not going to work. Um, I hope neither of you are listening to this. I really did not enjoy the time I spent with you. Ooh. Just this in FYI. Ouch. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's when I started like being like, oh, like I, I want to be like super dominant and I want them to call me daddy and I want like this really hot boy that just like submits to me in the bedroom and it just like was not working and I went to this workshop at the ritual chamber, I think it was, to try and like learn a little bit more about DDLG and interesting, I have no desire to be mommy, by the way. Right. If I'd, I'd be daddy, 100%. And so whatever. And then... Eventually, I came across one other human that I'd actually met the year before at Oasis. When I met this human at Oasis, I thought he was a fucking pretentious prick, and I just didn't (laughs) think anything of him. I just thought, wow, here's this guy, naked, talking about Freud, and like, I'm just not into this. This human was you, Patrick. This human was you. And I just thought you were really annoying. <laughs> talking about Freud, that's hilarious. Of course that's what you were talking about. You were just like, I don't know, I don't know. Um, was I actually talking about Freud? Yes, you were. or you were talking about some some philosopher maybe to Greg. Was I trying to impress you or was I? Or was this I was just like you walked I was barely listening. In? Oh, okay. I was sitting there and okay. you were just, who knows what you were going off okay. about. But anyway, <laughs> okay. I was not interested in you at the time. Thanks. Moving on, fast forward a year later. Then I matched with you on Tinder because I noticed in your profile that you mentioned that you were kinky. And I thought, wow, okay, I've heard about this human through the grapevine. I know that he's not a total creep because my friends, I have friends that have like spent time with you. So So I got vouched for. Yeah. So I was like, okay, you've been vetted for, like, I think I can trust you. I'm looking for an educational experience to learn about kink from somebody in the community. So matched with you on Tinder and told you that I recognized you and you did not remember me, whatever. (laughs) Um, And then we started hanging out. Eventually you showed me this this BDSM checklist that you'd created. Right. Okay. Would so you let's, like to talk about this? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's let's go there. We we spent about half the interview, I think, talking about this. Priming the, people now for the, the juicy stuff. So full disclosure, we've been seeing each other for how long has it been? Eight months. Eight months. Okay. And at the time when you and I began seeing each other, you were relatively new to the. Yes, I'd Sex only been to Oasis a couple times. And but you were very curious. But I was, yeah, very curious. So I still remember, it wasn't our first date, maybe it was our second or I think third, it was our third. Third date, something. Second checklist. or third date, yeah. I had this BDSM checklist that I created, and I had you fill it out. Yes. And then I looked at all the things that you said, this is a hard no, and all the things that you said, this is a hard yes. And they were all the same. Well, that's what I, that's what we was, were very compatible. Yeah. That's what was tripping me out is I looked at this thing and I was like, these are, these are kind of my answers to things. Yeah. Or they're answers to the things that I like from the mirror perspective. So if I'm into like doing this, you're yeah, into yeah. receiving and blah, blah, blah. So anyways, we went over that checklist for, it was a damn long time. It was a really long time. I mean, it was a long ass checklist. He <laughs> sent it to me. It was He unthorough. emailed it to me and it took me like an hour and a half to complete which I really appreciated because it got me to think about things that I hadn't even considered. So we went over all of our answers together and I don't know, an hour later we were making out. <laughs> and it st- just kind of went from there. I still remember that when the first kiss happened and this this speaks to you as a person. Yes, I know exactly what you're gonna say, yeah, go on. You do. I was trying to look at the nonverbal cues because you were giving me the eyes. Yes. And then, <laughs> I was leaning in and I think I, I said something like I verbalized like, you know, about a kiss. And then you're like, uh, you told me to ask you. So I, I leaned back and I looked at you and I said, do you want to kiss me? And then I put the onus on you. And you sat there and you took a drink, you took your cup, you looked at it. Then you looked over at me, you smiled, you drank, did that face, made that noise, looked at me, 
and then big bright smile and you said yes and leaned in and the reason that speaks to your character is of a lot of people that I've I've played with and partners that I've had you have really strong verbal consent you know how to ask for the things that you want and you know how to verbalize your needs excessively specifically you're very I'm particular very particular very i particular. like things a certain way um as subby as i am i'm like a really bratty sub i wouldn't say necessarily bratty so much as needy and knowing how to <laughs> well no i mean that in a good way <laughs> i mean that in a good way like i have a lot of needs here's how you can meet them yeah i mean i just want to set you up for success i want to set you up to please me in the, the best most. way possible and yeah. that's and this is a really good message because a lot of people that get very subby or feel very subby they feel like it's not their place to talk they feel like it's their place to be quiet and be told what to do consistently from what i understand it's actually the submissive that has the most power we're actually the ones that are in charge because we're the ones that lay down the law and we're the ones that set the boundaries <clears throat> And so exactly. I never thought for a moment, even when I was very new getting into this, that being submissive meant that I had to say yes. To me, I just thought being sub like what I understand now is being submissive just means that you set things up by talking about them first. So then you can play the role of saying yes, but that that all has to be negotiated beforehand right. and spoken about. Like I've had enough stupid, meaningless sex at this point. I don't want to do anything I don't want to actually do. Like ever, in all aspects of my life. Very particular. I'm very particular. <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is that this is a really good lesson for anybody that's out there that identifies as submissive, that you can verbalize your needs consistently and throughout. And if you feel that that's not a thing that you can do, that when you feel submissive, you feel like being quiet and being taken over, well then, you must have that negotiation beforehand. And when I spoke to Jordy on uh, our episode together, he had a very strong point about that. He's like, before you start a scene with somebody or a relationship, you have a discussion, a negotiation period. Mm -hmm. And in the negotiation period, there's no such thing as a power dynamic. Right. You're not a sub. I'm not a yeah. dom. You're not a daddy. I'm not a mommy. I'm not totally having yeah. a conversation. And yeah. I'd say like if the opportunity to have that kind of conversation does not exist within the relationship that you're trying to build with someone, that's not a true dom. That's just a fucking asshole. Yeah, and we've heard enough bad stories in the communities and we've had some stories here on the podcast of people who've experienced really shitty humans out there who when they're given a little bit of power... They just go for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really shit. Yeah, steer clear of that. So some of the most important things in a relationship is the negotiation period beforehand, continuing communication and negotiation, and debriefing afterwards, after a scene. Yeah. Right? And I, care. I feel like we're constantly reevaluating what it is that we truly want because there have been times where some things have felt really good and really safe and we, we've done those things continuously and then all of a sudden one day it's just like not working. And so I'd say that I guess my only advice is that there are no constants like just because you have filled the role at one time and that meant that you had to do certain things like there's no guarantees ever like I feel like it constantly constantly has to be renegotiated and spoken about and at the end of everything you should always there should always be space to talk about what worked and what didn't work and you know receiving the aftercare that you you need and a big part of that is determining oh, what worked and what doesn't and what doesn't work and that's another thing with with it's you is, is fun too i love the is. conversation afterwards you and i have some very very long conversations yeah before after scenes and throughout this relationship it's been very communication forward mm -hmm. and i really appreciate that i appreciate that too and i think that you're also really good at vocalizing things that you don't like Yes. in a respectful way. I don't know if that comes from your yoga practice, but you have a very delicate way of breaking bad news to people, I think. How often am I breaking bad news to you? No, no, it's not what that. What kind of bad news do I break? <laughs> but if it's something that you don't like, you find a way of, of, of saying it to me. Because well, I doesn't... don't hurt your feelings because I like you. So right. I you just, don't make me feel I, inadequate for yeah, it. Yeah, I just don't want you to fucking do that again, that's all. <laughs> 
And now there's posts. You're making all these posts online on Instagram, slowly introducing aspects of your kinky life to yeah. your followers and your mama. And my mom. Oh, poor mama. Yeah. How does that feel for you? It's felt liberating to post about kink and all the other aspects of my life with the same freedom that I talk about yoga and all the other stuff like acne and body hair like this is just felt like a natural next step to also talk about these things and has have I been met with any resistance yeah do I get a lot of like questionable dms of people telling me that I'm unprofessional and disgusting and all of this like yeah that that stuff comes um has my mom called me on multiple occasions telling me that I'm going to give her a heart attack and if she sees me post another photo of my butt crack, she's going to cry. Yeah, that's come too. But I think I've been able to deal with all of those conversations and all of those hurdles with grace and with with love and compassion for the fears of people that care about me and have paid absolutely no attention to the people who don't give a shit about me that are giving me unsolicited opinions on how I should live my life and represent myself when frankly I don't give a flying fuck but yeah it's felt really nice and I like the idea of even being like a little segue or bridge to people that are even newer than me don't even know that places like Oasis exist and don't know what any of the terms are they don't even know how to google this so that's where i feel like i come in well the other day you posted something on instagram yes <laughs> two bald men sitting on a couch oh yeah so i'd let's, love to talk about yeah this. i want to talk a little bit about that uh, that experience of of you kind of disclosing okay, shades of polyamory okay patrick so ta- stop talking about let it. me take the floor please we're cutting that part patrick? out <laughs> we're cutting that part out <laughs> you cut so cut <laughs> No, this whole episode's getting cut. That's it. Oh my god, really? No. Why are you being so fucking particular, man? I would never. But that part's getting cut. So, um, a few months ago, I went camping with my good friend who came to visit me from New York. And we went to Aurelia to go and hang out with this group of ecstatic dancing, cacao drinking hippies. And so... I went camping and I was having super fun. I was on like two and a half tabs of acid, just like living my best life, dancing without a shirt on, just like Yasmin, just in her prime. And you and I had been seeing each other at that time. And I guess that was the point where I started like paying extra attention to bald, bearded, blue-eyed men. I don't know, all of a sudden I've just like developed a type and it's very weird. And so I saw this guy who fit exactly that archetype and he was dancing and he was just like super awesome and I really liked him and we decided to become friends and then we decided to be friends that kissed and we had a very magical night in a tent and it was lovely and I told him all about you before we did anything. We got into this tent before we'd kissed, before we'd done anything. I was very clear that I had a partner, that I was polyamorous, that I was going to be telling my partner you Um, about whatever sexual experience I was perhaps about to have and that we would have to practice safe sex. And he really appreciated that. And we ended up just having this whole conversation about his partners and like what polyamory means to us and uh, whether or not we have any kinks. So we ended up having like really open, communicative, kinky sex that, that evening. And a couple days ago, I invited you, my partner, as well as this friend from the tent to come and meet one another in my home. And I warned both of you that (laughs) you look very similar and to not be alarmed when you saw one another. Actually, caveat to that, you were having a date with this person. Yeah. And then I said I was in the area. Right. And then I said, you should come by. Come by and meet him. And I said, well, is he okay with me kind of infiltrating your date? And he was super, super okay with that. If anything, he was more excited. All of a sudden, yeah, he was more excited to hang out with me because, because he knew how open I was and how open my partner was. And he just like wanted to be a part of that and thought it was really cool and really interesting. So the two of you met and it was awesome i loved it i thought it was super cool um i was a little bit bummed out that we didn't spend more time talking about me and why you both like me 
right. and why you're attracted to me. Right. Um, so we kind of sat there and, and bonded with each other. Yeah, Thank you they, very much. they talked about like, whatever, smarticle things. And I was just like, why am I even here? These guys could just hang out without me. <laughs> it, turned into, it turned into my date with him. <laughs> yeah, I thought this was going to be like a really fun ego stroking for me. And it wasn't. So if we could redo that sometime soon, that'd be yeah, cool. let's do that. But essentially, it was kind of mind-blowing for me. And I know that he really appreciated it, and he thought it was really cool, and you thought it was really cool. And yeah. that's really amazing and really wild. And that's the kind of life I want to live. I want my partners to know about one another. I get super excited by the thought of my partner um, going on a date with someone else or sleeping with someone else. And the more that I know about it, the more excited I am because I feel like I'm a part of it. You know, the one and only serious relationship I've ever been in, the one time I was in love, uh, one of the main reasons that that relationship ended was because that wasn't going to be an option for us. And that was definitely one of the points where I started thinking a lot more about non-monogamy. And now that I'm getting to really experience it for the first time i'm like yeah this is this is totally what i want i want many partners and i want them to know one another and i want it to just be super open and honest and that sounds like love to me it really does yeah some of us got here the the hardest ways possible some of us had the opportunity to come in you know with relatively fewer breakups and, and failed uh, I'm failed lucky. monogamy. I, I didn't have to go through too much trauma yeah. to get here. Because Sometimes one's enough. <laughs> yeah, I just right? I just had one, you know, one relationship from the age of 19 to 20. And I was so fucking in love with her. And we lived together and it was very serious. And there was no space for that kind of exploration. Despite all the conversations that we'd had about it and, you know, I still like want to send her love and like thank her so much for everything because she's still one of the most important things that's ever happened to me. Um, but yeah, it was killing me knowing that that was never going to happen. And did that lead me to do some stupid things? Yeah. So I don't want to be in that position again. Right. Where I have to keep myself back from the opportunity of copious amounts of love. <laughs> and, and I just, experiences. I, I don't expect everything from you as right. a partner. Yeah. You know, like, you've got a dick. I also need a partner that doesn't have one of those. I completely agree with you. It's it's a matter of, you know, not depending on one person to satisfy all your needs. And I think the ethos in the polyamory community is that you shouldn't expect that of any partner to fulfill all your needs. You don't yeah. expect that of any other human for any other reason in your life. None of your friends are there to satisfy everything yeah everything so you have different friends for different reasons now there's a world where you can have different lovers for different reasons and it takes a lot of the load off Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that it's easy as we know people deal with jealousy they deal with all sorts of things yeah people ask me sometimes they're like oh like that must be so cool that you're not a jealous person and that's why you can do this that's not true of course i still feel jealousy of course i still feel inadequate and insecure I'm just not willing to just say that as a statement and then let it be that, you know? I'm never going to be like, oh, I, yeah, I'm just a jealous person. No, if, I, if I'm feeling jealousy, that means that I have to do something to get over that. It doesn't necessarily mean that my partner's done something wrong and that that's led me to feel this way. Like, that's a me problem. Well, it's something that you can address, you know, whenever it's felt. You can bring it up to a partner, have a discussion about it. Like, here's how I feel about it. Here's how... It might be me. Here's how maybe a behavior that you do triggers that in me. Mm-hmm. How can we modify that? How can we communicate this differently? And you negotiate and set up, you know, different kinds of boundaries. Yeah. Or you deal with it as an event and you find ways to make each other feel better. Because sometimes it's just a matter of insecurity. And we get that, right? If your partner's off with somebody else and you're like, you judge that other person to be better looking than you. And you're like, okay, my partner's off with this person and they're better looking than me. And I think that in my head. Then how do I feel about them? Why does that make me feel bad? Does, is it because I feel like my partner might not return? They might suddenly be stuck with this person or like go away with this person and not come back? And sometimes it's just a lot of your own internal dialogue and insecurities. You vocalize that to your partner and they're like, no, that's not the case. And then 
you've just relieved something that was bothering you on the inside and that you were potentially wrong about. It's nice to be reassured and to have that conversation and to have your partner remind you why you're important to them and to validate you a little bit. Right. Okay. Another thing I'd like to ask you is then what advice do you have for new people coming into the sex positive communities from your experience? Well, I would start by taking a look at what you're inclined to consume in your personal sex exploration. So I would start by looking at what you tend to gravitate towards porn-wise and what types of, what ideas excite you and then start doing research from there because I guarantee you that there is a community and access to information for every kink that you could ever imagine. So I guess the first thing to realize is that you are not alone in wanting to pursue a specific sexual experience. So once you've taken the time to kind of determine within your body, looking at your own play that you do on your own or what you felt inclined to do with other people, to look that up and start doing research. From there... So do your homework. So yeah, definitely do your homework and like... I know if you're anything like me and you don't love the experience of masturbating because that is truly like I do not love it and I have still a lot of shame and a lot of work to do when it comes to masturbating but you know I started noticing patterns what I wanted to watch porn wise and like what kinds of toys I wanted to use and how much force and like what kind of you know all those things so you start to notice those things do your homework and then start to maybe look within your community so if you're in Toronto like us start to see if there are any specific workshops that teach you more about that kink so once i determined what a few of my my things were i found different spaces within the city that were giving workshops specifically on that whether or not i found all of those workshops to be helpful no i did not find them all helpful but at least it was nice knowing that there were people interested in it and that there was access to information that I would be able to gain on a personal one-on-one experience, which is so different than sitting alone in your room, you know, learning about the depths of your disgustingness through a screen. So that, I guess, would be my second piece. So first is homework, then go out into the community, which I would suggest you can even go on FetLife.com, find some people, talk there, go to Munches, they're set up through FetLife, go to sex clubs, and they have workshops there sometimes, or certain chambers and subspaces and... So from an extension yeah. of that, I would say it might be useful to you to not go to these things alone. So it might be helpful if there is somebody in your life that you trust, whether that be a potential partner, a current partner that you want to be exploring some of these kinks with, or even just a friend who you know is going to be non-judgmental of the kinds of things that you want to explore to go with you. That being said, I also can totally respect and understand if you don't want to do these things with other people. I would just say ensure your safety first and that you know the first time that you're learning about any of these things is not going to meet up with some person that you met on FetLife. Just be careful and maybe have your first couple of experiences doing these things with a friend without maybe the intention of necessarily playing but just from a space of, I'm going to learn, I'm going to observe and absorb and be prepared to ask questions without feeling the pressure of having to act on any of these on any of these things. And then the last is to start to collect humans, it's to start to create some sort of method for group style communication to make yourself a little family. Of a support that, system. Yeah, support system that share the same interests as you, that are going to be interested in going to these types of events and going to these types of places and maybe even playing with you. And yeah, there are lots of types of play that are not recommended to do on your own, like breath play. When it's time for me, for example, to start to experiment with those things, I'll have to have a buddy next to me to make sure, you know, I don't kill myself and pass out or die. So... Yeah, having a community I think is super powerful and I think it really speeds up the level of experiences that you'll have when there's other people cheering you on. And And you can also always ensure safety, consent, and support when you have a community to to work with. Mm -hmm. And this community, like we said, small, 
well, not too small, but incestuous. So people will tend to know each other. You can discover other people's reputations and hopefully not just from one source, right? And get an idea of who you want to spend time with and around. Mm-hmm. I guess my last piece of advice would be if you're feeling any any self-doubt or self-judgment or hatred towards the types of things that you'd like to explore, go talk to somebody about it. I started seeing a therapist who specifically deals with people in the kink and BDSM community as a way to try to sort through why I feel so much shame around some of the things that I want to do and maybe even to discover a little bit more about why certain acts and certain activities, certain things bring me so much pleasure. And I know that that is a privileged thing for me to say because I have access to go see a therapist. But there are spaces within the community that exist at the 519 and at other groups within the city and other places that you can get access to having those kinds of conversations. Or, you know, even if it is that buddy that you've collected or that within that community that you've collected, if you want to just go through like basic talk therapy with your friends. Right. But to just talk about it because chances are you're gross, but like somebody else is grosser. Yeah. And we like you gross. Yeah. Like gross is kind of hot. Like maybe pee on me. Let's be gross. Okay. So yeah, I guess that's my advice. All right. Awesome. Another thing I want to ask you with regards to relationships and what you've done in the past, why do you think that maybe your vanilla and monogamous relationships didn't really work out? Mm, that's an interesting question, Patrick. Um, they were so unfulfilling and so boring, and I just felt like I was missing out on so much being in vanilla relationships. And for me, a vanilla relationship means one that leaves no room for potentially having other partners, um, and one where the dynamic is not something that is specifically discussed. So that's that's what vanilla, I guess, means. Does, does, what does vanilla mean to you? Yeah, I mean, usually people use the term vanilla to describe a relationship in which the sex is your standard in-and-out procedure. And Well, yeah. And I just think of, like, the heter- uh, heteronormative married couple having missionary intercourse. Right. Right? That's that's the, the staple of vanilla. Mm-hmm. What's outside of that is anything that gets a little bit kinky, where the relationship gets maybe a little bit open. You intuit what it means, right? I don't think there's we need to have a precise definition. We have a working definition. Right. So it just seems like what you experienced before, mm-hmm. you would consider vanilla in contrast to what you experience now. Yeah. You find one to be more fulfilling in the, than the other, mm-hmm. and you have your reasons for why you do that. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is still that satisfies me so much more about these types of relationships and why I couldn't just be a vanilla girl and find satisfaction and fulfillment within that kind of relationship. I was so bored. But were you ever like really vanilla? Or were you always a little... I was always on the fringes, but my partner didn't always necessarily feel the same way. And that's why we always like encountered some problems. Because I was always like, oh, like we should do this. We should talk about this. Like, why aren't we doing this? My partner was like, what's going on here? And I just felt so... Oh, this makes me sound like an asshole, but that's okay. I'm going to say it anyway. I felt like because my partner or partners in the past weren't willing to be open to being more than just vanilla, that I was going to be forced to do things I didn't want to do, i.e. cheat. And that's a me problem. And But you're not, you're not alone in this. In fact, a lot of the people that I've interviewed... I'm like, I've done it. Yeah. A lot of the people that I've interviewed, had that was the route. Because when you're pressed against the wall you do the thing that you know is going to destroy yeah, your Yeah, but then it's like they didn't make me do that, but I guess like no, I also a- didn't deserve to be in a relationship that was robbing me of the kinds of experiences that I felt like were going to, you know, right. be but the most. It's trial and error at the end of the day. It's not their fault for being in a relationship with you and having those needs that right. you couldn't fulfill. Yeah. That part's on you. You didn't have the time to introspect and realize the things that you wanted because you didn't have the experience to do it with. And then once you experience certain things, and because we live in a society where monogamy is the standard and people don't really get to choose, 
you get pushed, you get shoved into relationships that fit a certain template and we don't go in with a precognition. We don't go in with a negotiation. We just fall into... I think that that's... Then you've just answered my question, your own question then. The reason that I felt so inclined to explore kinkier relationships and drop vanilla relationships was because I was so excited by the idea of getting to choose and getting to question and getting and to create. just like yeah beyond the fringes because i don't want to be normal and like i don't know sometimes that makes me feel like i do things just for the sake of like shock value and just like to freak people out because i just hate the idea of being normal so badly but i'm i'm very inquisitive especially about like m- myself um definitely think a lot about myself and like why i do certain things So once I started having those conversations with myself about love and sex and fantasy and pleasure, then the idea of getting to choose a new route for myself while it was scary and there were a lot of unknowns and I didn't know what I was getting myself into, ultimately it sounded like a lot of fun because I was going to get to choose for myself what was important to me. And I just hate listening to rules. (laughs) I have a lot of issues with authority and respect in general. Right. Um, hence why finding like a proper dom is like stressful for me. It takes me a long time to submit, to, to allow myself to submit because there are so many boxes that have to be ticked for me first in order for me to do that. Well, in that process, it seems like you've been a bit of a rebel through most of your life. Yes. Have you faced a lot of judgment throughout your life for your rebellious activities and what kinds of things have you done and how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the judgments? How do you deal with the criticisms? You spend some time on social media, particularly Instagram. Yes. And sometimes people get judgmental, vicious, critical. So what kinds of criticisms have you experienced in your vanilla life, in your uh, right. sex positive life? And how do you deal with it? And has here's the interesting part. Has being being part of the sex positive communities helped create better responses to these criticisms Mm, yes or is it worse i think that definitely my my technique in handling negativity and judgment has gotten a lot better since meeting people that are just so far out and just seeing how fearlessly and ferociously that they choose to live their lives and present themselves has definitely served as a form of inspiration for me i've always received a lot of criticism like my my entire life why because I was, i've always been extra as shit and people just always like had no reservations in telling me how they how they feel about me so i get a lot of hate online and actually a lot of friends have told me that i get more hate than than seems to make sense based on the number of followers that i have which isn't that high um i just get a lot of um really intense negative um messages mainly the big ones are about my body hair um, about my choice to post a lot of videos of me without makeup on, which somehow makes me less credible of a hmm. human being. Very strange. Um, and recently, my choice to be so verbal about my explorations within the kink and sex positive community. So, yes, it, it sometimes is, is harmful and my ego it gets a little bit bruised when random strangers tell me how they feel about me and tell me that they think that I'm gross or unprofessional or disgusting. But ultimately, that stuff doesn't really matter. What does hurt is when people that you love tell you that they have a problem with what you're doing in your life. And mom, if you're listening to this, I love you so much. You have grown so much and you've just like really grown with me. Like I've put a lot of shit onto you. Like I came out to my mom when I was 12 years old, you know, told her I was bisexual and I've just like, I've just put her through the ringer. And, you know, while she's grown a lot and while the humans around me have come to realize like who I am as a person and have just kind of realized that they've just got to accept me for all the wild shit that I'm probably going to do and put them through and expose them to, yeah, like sometimes I, I still do post things and say things that causes concern to the people around me. And ultimately, it's always come down to me having to sit down with myself and say, do I think what I'm doing is okay? Do I think that am I causing anyone deliberate harm? Do I feel like I'm ruining my reputation in a way that is irreparable? And 
Am I, am I setting myself up for failure? And ultimately the answer each time has been no. Like, am I ever gonna wanna take a job that is gonna have a problem with something that I posted on Instagram maybe five years ago? No, so I'm never gonna put myself in that kind of situation. So I feel like I should just be brave and post whatever I want. Am I lucky enough to say that I don't think that I would ever be disowned by my family and by my mom? I don't think I ever would. I think that I could just fuck up epically and those humans are still going to have love for me. Unconditional love. Unconditional. And your mom is one of your followers, so she sees all My mother this is stuff. one of my followers and she, you know, is a wild supporter of all the things that I do. I talk to her on the phone all the time. You know, just the other day we were having a conversation on the phone and she very blatantly asked me whether or not I do threesomes. So my mom has the language. <laughs> my mom, like, has a pretty good idea of, like, what I may or may not be doing. And it's been interesting getting to challenge the people I love and getting to kind of, like, shut myself up sometimes and be like, why do I need to put this out there? Am I just trying to stir and shake that cage again? Or do I actually feel like I'm saying something or doing something useful in sharing this? And there have been times, I'm not going to lie, even recently where I've deleted posts because I've been like, this was me just being dramatic and extra and trying to just like make a wave for no reason that I thought was going to be particularly useful to anybody. So sometimes I still have to catch myself. But ultimately, I... I want to live for myself. I don't want to hurt anybody, but if it means like losing a couple friends in the process as I learn how to become the best, fiercest version of myself, then it's gonna, it's just gonna happen. Yeah, and you got, I mean, you got lucky with having a parent. Oh, that, I did. I did. Is my other parent, on the other hand, if my father were to ever come across any of this content, and father, if you're listening to this. Please stop. This is not for you at all. Um, yeah, I've, I've been pretty lucky. Like, my mom's a badass, like, you know, comes from an immigrant family and just, like, figured it out real fast. Awesome. Yeah. The last thing I want to ask you before I let you off the hook is if you have any really cool, interesting, wild, sexy stories that you want to share. Yes. Oh, one thing I, I will mention is... When there are two newbies trying to um, have kinky experiences together, it is so awkward. <laughs> it's so awkward, especially if you don't know each other very well. Not too long ago, I had a guy over that I had picked up on Tinder, um, and I was very clear in my bio that I was kinky and that I was specifically looking to hit a cis white man. And <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> so that was my bio. Kinky human looking to hit a cis white man. And his Tinder bio was cis white man. And so naturally it was a match. And he came over and I gave him very specific instructions uh, for when he was coming over so that he understood that I was going to be the dominant one within this, this dynamic. So I asked him to bring me a certain type of candy, to meet me down the street, to like do all of these things. And so he came inside and he just had so many questions for me and had no idea what the fuck he was doing and did not want to submit to me. Despite not having as even like he didn't, it's not like he had so much experience being a dominant and that's why he wanted me to submit to him. Like he didn't have experience as a dom or as a sub, but he was super curious. And so I was only comfortable dealing with a newbie if I was gonna be in the dominant role. Like, I can't, I don't want to submit to somebody who's even more confused about this than I am. Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, I don't even know you. Like, so <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? And it was so awkward because I didn't have the the energy to go through all these things with him and explain to him. Like, obviously, we talked about boundaries and, like, we talked about pain threshold and all of those things. But, God, it was awkward. So, I mean, if you can find yourself, like, a mentor whether or not you actually want to like develop a scene or a relationship with him like just to kind of iron out some of those kinks so that you feel more comfortable taking on a newbie like do that like that's what i feel like i need to do now like i need to just learn how to start a scene a little bit better and learn how to just like take control um a little bit better for when i have people in my in my personal space that 
don't know what they're doing. Right, because you're pretty good at being particular about the things that you want. Right. And I do remember one of your stories from before we met. I think you you told me about inviting somebody over and you gave them very specific instructions, like bring this, do that, do this, do that, and then leave at this time or... It was almost the same thing. Like, I pretty much did the same thing with that guy that you're talking about to what I did with this human here. I actually asked them to bring the same things for me. What is the candy that you like? Skittles. Okay. Always. You can bring me Skittles anytime. But yeah, I asked them to bring me regular Skittles, to come dressed in a specific way. Um, one of them was a professor and one of them was a lawyer. Wow. So I just asked them to wear like a suit. Those are good white men to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, ideal white men to be. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Well, before I let you go, shout out your things. Where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at yaz.thehuman. All my content will be there. You're pretty active. Pretty damn active. Yeah. I kind of take it a little serious because I really enjoy it. And such good things have come from Instagram for me. So I'm just going to continue to put effort into it because it's it's been good to me so all right i don't i'm not shy about taking that seriously so well thanks for doing this you're welcome you're listening to intellectual erection a place where we talk about the naughty to stimulate your thinking